We're continuing a series this morning titled By Faith, and if you were here last week, we kicked that off uh, with a message that said, By faith we look to the future, and each week we'll be considering a different theme that's present in Hebrews chapter 11 as we seek to follow God by faith, to walk by faith, just as the Scriptures have told us repeatedly that it is the just who walk by faith and not by sight. And so we want to learn and we want to grow together as we do that. Um, So when we looked at this last week, I reminded you of our mission and our vision and our core values as we continue to move forward together as a group, as a church, as a family of families. That's our vision here, that we would truly be and increasingly become a healthy family of families. We want the best for you and your family, whether it's a family of one or two or ten or twelve. We want to grow together individually as families and as our family of families. And our mission, as we look to the future, our mission for Linwood Wesleyan is to reach people for Christ, to give them a place to belong, and to help them grow in their faith. We want to do each of those three things continuously. And we do that founded on certain core values that we would be centered centering our lives in God's Word, that we would care for each other, and that we would leave a legacy of faith. And so those are things that we're intentionally focused on in the season to come, in the ministry and the life of Linwood Wesleyan Church, and we're excited for the people who have already stepped forward and said we want to be a part of that, and for new people who are coming. I've got a praise report to share with you that we've got a membership class today, and we had 19 people sign up and RSVP for that membership class. They're interested in taking that next step. So... Um, so we're excited about that, and if you're new to the, to the church, new to Linwood, um, and you're not quite ready for, for membership class, know that on the first Sunday of February, we'll be having a Next Steps class, which is sort of a big overview of everything that goes on here, and if membership is presented as one of those options, you might want to in, lean into that. There'll be other opportunities to, to join as a member um, in the coming, coming months, but our Our big idea or our bottom line last week was that by faith, we keep our eyes on the right prize. By faith, we keep our eyes on the right prize. And we looked at this passage at the end of chapter 11, right at the beginning of chapter 12, where it says that that we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We look to the future by faith and we fix our eyes on Jesus by faith because he is a great example for us. In almost every aspect, I shouldn't have even said almost, in every aspect of our lives, Jesus sets the example. And he was able to look to the future by faith, look to the joy that was set before him on the other side of the cross. And that leads us to today's message where we'll talk about enduring difficulty by faith. By faith, the people of God have endured difficulty over the centuries pre-Christ in the Old Testament. Christ is a perfect example of enduring difficulties. And ever since Christ died on the cross and ushered in the new covenant, the people of God have lived by faith and have endured difficulty by faith. They've endured challenges and trials and temptations and disappointments. And you might remember last week we talked about this This glance-gaze principle. If you were here, we talked about the glance-gaze principle. And we used it specifically in the context of looking to the future by faith. And we had the the windshield on screen and how big the windshield is compared to the rearview mirror. If you're driving through life, 
gazing at that rear view mirror, you're going to crash, right? So you want to gaze out into the future and glance occasionally at the rear view mirror. We're going to apply that same principle today in a, in a different way. When we talk about gazing at Jesus in the midst of our difficulties, in the midst of our trials and our temptations and our struggles. Because when we gaze at Jesus and glance at the problems of our lives, we keep things in the proper perspective. Our bottom line today, I'll give it to you early and we'll circle back to it at the end. But the bottom line is you can focus on Jesus or your problems, but not both at the same time. And so we want to make sure that we are a people who gazes at Jesus as we live by faith, as we endure difficulty by faith. We gaze at Jesus and glance at our problems instead of going by vice versa, right? Because whatever you focus on gets bigger. Whatever you focus on gets bigger. And if we take our eyes off of Jesus and focus on our problems without returning to Jesus, the problem gets bigger, and by nature, Jesus starts to get smaller. But if instead we will focus, in fact, Hebrews 12 tells us to fix our eyes. If we focus on Jesus, he gets bigger, and the problem starts to get smaller. By no means do I want to minimize anybody's problems, but I also don't want to maximize those problems. One of the prayers that I pray often is that I would right-size my problems, that I wouldn't minimize my problems and make them smaller than they actually are and, and cast them aside, but also, God, give me the grace, give me the faith not to maximize my problems and make the problem bigger than it actually is. And one of the ways that I do that is by focusing on Jesus, fixing my eyes on Jesus. A problem should never get more attention than Jesus gets because Jesus has already solved our biggest problem. And when we fix our eyes on him, he reminds us that, that this life is but a vapor and that he is taking care of the eternity that is set before us at the end of this life. And the problems that we encounter in this world are so small compared to the problem that he has solved on our behalf for eternity. Jesus doesn't promise a problem-free life. He promises just the opposite. He promises in this world you will have troubles, difficulties, trials, temptations. But take heart. Why? Because I have overcome the world. He has overcome sin and death on our behalf. He has overcome the momentary sliver of eternity that this life represents so that we can be with him forever in a place where there is no crying, there is no sorrow, there are no tears, there are no even, not even any shadows. There's just light. There's just his presence. So I want you to open to Hebrews chapter 11. We'll be in this passage the entire series, and we'll look at a few verses in particular today, a few passages that really point to this idea of enduring difficulty by faith. If you have one of our pew Bibles, that's on page 1875, uh, where we'll be. And the first passage that I want to look at is Hebrews 11, verses 17 through 19. 17 through 19. And here's what we read. We read, by faith, Abraham, the father of the Israel the tribe of Israel. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, 
And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Now, there's a couple things to understand about this passage. In, in the New Testament, that word that we translate as tested can be, uh, have two meanings. It can mean to be tempted or to be tested or proven. And it's very obvious from the context. It's very obvious if you know the story. Abraham was not tempted to offer his son as a sacrifice. Maybe you have, at some point in parenthood, been tempted to offer your child as a sacrifice. I'm just, no, I'm just joking. I've never, I promise, boys, never. But it's very clear that that's not what's taking place here. So the other meaning absolutely is in play, that it's the testing, the proving of. And when we talk about testing in this sense, we're talking about giving the evidence of or giving the proof of something. That's the type of testing that took place. He wasn't tempted to do this. It was a testing. It was to give the evidence of or to give the proof of our faith. And sometimes we think God is testing us, and it's not fair, like a test in school. Well, the test in school is designed to give the evidence of your knowledge on the subject. And tests of faith are not because God's some puppeteer up in, I wonder if they'll pass this test or not. The test is designed to give the evidence of the faith that you have. Maybe for you. Maybe for someone around you. But the test is there to prove the faith that you have, not to discredit it. Verse 19 is where I want to focus in particular because we're told that Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And I love that. I love that language. Abraham reasoned. And he reasoned toward faith, not away from it. And when we go through difficulties, part of living by faith and enduring difficulties by faith means that when we're tested, when, when our faith is being proven, we reason towards God. We reason towards faith, not away from it. Last week, I, I used the language, we doubt our doubts and feed our faith. The doubts will come. The doubts will come. But we have the opportunity, we have the choice to doubt the doubt and then feed the faith. Feed the faith with fellowship of believers. Feed the faith with God's word. Feed the faith with worship. Feed the faith through counseling. Feed the faith through a number of different ways that we have opportunity to feed and strengthen our faith instead of feeding and strengthening our doubts. And Abraham is a great example of this. He chose. He chose. He reasoned towards faith, not away from it. And just a few verses uh, before the before this chapter in Hebrews 10.23, I love the language that the writer of Hebrews uses here. He says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. When you endure difficulty, choose to hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, because he who promised is faithful. That might be a verse you want to Jot down and, and put somewhere that you'll see it often, especially if you're in a season of enduring difficulty by faith. The next passage that I want to look at is another one of the patriarchs in uh, verses 24 through 27. We read about Moses. And if you know the story of Moses, you, you know that he was born at a time when Hebrew children were being slaughtered. And the, the Hebrew boys were being thrown into the river. And his parents hid him and... Uh, through a series of circumstances, he ends up in Pharaoh's household. 
It's a great story. You should read, you should read your Bible. It's, it's there in Exodus and, and Genesis. And, and there's so many great stories that we're reading about kind of the Cliff's Notes version here in Hebrews 11. But verse 24 tells us that Moses, by faith, when he had grown up, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He had that right. He had the right to lay claim to that, and he was secure in that. But he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He chose eternity when he had the option. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than all the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he chose to look to the future. By faith, he chose to live by faith. To live by faith. And I love in verse 27, it talks about perseverance. It talks about perseverance. And if you're in a season of enduring difficulties, enduring trials, enduring difficulties and disappointments, by faith, perseverance is something that you're going to need and it's something that you're going to develop. It's something that you'll need, and it's something that you'll develop. And we're told that Abraham persevered and endured by faith. In fact, it says that he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. He, he saw Christ. He saw God in front of him. He put his eyes on him, just as we're encouraged to fix our eyes on Jesus. He set his hope and his confidence and his insurance his assurance in God and God alone. Now, the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 12, verse 11, he says something about discipline. Now, we think discipline means punishment, right? You discipline somebody, you punish them. But it also means training, that you can be a disciplined person as a person who trains themselves, who, who, who chooses to put in the time, put in the effort, put in the work, whatever the discipline may be. Spiritual disciplines are not punishment. They're a joy and a delight to us. So when it says in verse 11 of Hebrews chapter 12, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but rather painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it, for those who have been trained by it. How many of you would like a harvest of righteousness and peace in your life? Raise your hands, even the cool people. Just a few? Okay, there's a few more hands going up. We want the righteousness and peace in our lives. But Scripture seems to indicate that there's often going to be a season of difficulty, of trial, of of something that brings about the perseverance, that brings about the need to fix our eyes on Jesus. James writes it a little differently. I didn't put this in the sermon notes. But James writes it this way. He says, consider it pure joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing, the proving, the giving, the evidence of your faith brings about perseverance. Perseverance. There's that word again. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Another silly question. How many of you would like to be mature and complete, not lacking anything? I know I would. I would like to be mature and complete. But Scripture puts difficulties and trials ahead of that as a prerequisite for that so that perseverance gets developed, so that we learn to fix our eyes on Jesus. Because i got to tell you, on the mountaintops, when everything's going my way, when everything's rosy, 
Sometimes I take my eyes off of Christ in those moments. But then when something rocks my boat a little bit, he's got my full attention once again. Another passage as we kind of move through this chapter, verses 35 through 38, the second half of verse 35 in particular, and moving on through there. This is talking about the broader spectrum of people. So we've moved from individuals, and now we're talking about those that have gone before us. And we're told others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sodden too. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. So many... So many who have gone before us have suffered incredibly for the gospel, have suffered incredibly for the spread of the gospel, have suffered incredibly for their faith and by their faith. And so many still do today. Not so much here in America, not so much here in Sioux Falls, but around the world, people are suffering for their faith. People are enduring difficulty by faith because of their faith, and many more will in the future. It's promised. We know how the story ends, and we know that it will get worse before it gets better. But boy, will it get better in the end. And that leads us up to these passage, this passage at the beginning of chapter 12 that we looked at last week. It's a therefore. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, those who have gone before us and those who are around us today, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. There's two things to throw off. Everything that hinders, anything that hinders, and the sin that so easily entangles. Do you know why we're told to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles? Because both of those will diminish your faith. Anything that hinders you from walking by faith, we're told to throw it off. Throw it off. And any sin that so easily entangles. That's why I don't know that I could be a part of a movement that is not focused on promoting personal holiness the way the Wesleyan Church promotes personal holiness. Because we are to throw off the sin that so easily entangles. Why? Because it diminishes our faith. And we're going to need all of it in order to walk by faith, in order to endure difficulties by faith, in order to look to the future by faith, in order to bless others by faith, and in order to be perfected by faith. We're going to have to get rid of some things. We're going to have to let go of some things. And we're encouraged to do that, and then we're told how. We're encouraged to get rid of these things, to run the race with perseverance. And let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We run the race set before us with perseverance. That word we translate as perseverance is, is two words that got smashed together in the Greek language. It's the Greek word hupomone. And it's a word picture like so many things are in other languages. It's a word picture and it means to remain under. That's literally what it means. It means to bear up courageously under suffering, under difficulties, under trials and temptations, to remain there by faith, to run with perseverance. That's what perseverance is. It means you stay in the game. You don't cut and run. 
You stay with it. You stay in the game. And that is what Jesus did on our behalf, and that is what he encourages us to do. And we find the strength to do it when we fix our eyes on him, when we look to the author and perfecter of our faith, who was focused on the joy set before him. And that is how he found the perseverance. That is how he found the strength to stay under. You can focus on Jesus, or you can focus on your problems, but you can't focus on both at the same time calls us to look up, to focus on him, to gaze at Jesus and glance at our problems. And before we finish today, I just want to say a word about this idea that God won't give you more than you can handle. How many of you have heard that? And I believe it's well-intentioned. I used to say it. I said, well, you know, God won't give you more than you can handle. And then I would hope that it was true. But we just read about people that were sodden too. We just read about people that were stoned to death. We heard about people who were imprisoned for their faith. And we know that this is happening around us. And I have a hard time saying to somebody who's being sodden too, God's not going to give you more than you can handle. Even if it's well-intentioned. And I'm not throwing stones at all. A lot of times we just don't know what to say. And so we say that in hopes that it will encourage them. But the people of God have routinely gone through more than they can handle. Haven't they? And there have been times that I have gone through more than I could handle. And my favorite passage on this subject comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you'll turn there real quick. Page number's on your screen and right behind me. I should say 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and then chapter 4. But here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. He says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Does it sound like Paul, the great church planter, the man with almost unlimited faith, got a little more than he could handle? Yeah. It says it was far beyond his ability to endure so that he despaired even of life. Indeed, our hearts, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. But this happened so that we might not rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope so that he will continue to deliver us. So that he will continue to to deliver us by setting our hope on him, by putting our faith in him, by enduring difficulty by faith. Because what happens when we endure, what happens when we bear up courageously under suffering, what happens is that we learn to fully rely upon God. That's what he said there in verse 9. He says, But this happened so that we might not rely on ourselves but on God. Have you ever seen the frog bumper sticker, Fully Relying on God? We do that in the valley far more than we do it on the mountaintop, don't we? We learn to fully rely upon God when we have to endure something that is beyond us. Now, nothing, God will not give you more than you and God can handle. Remember, he's already taken care of our biggest problem. So even if the trial, even if the difficulty, even if the, the temptation ends in our death, if we are in Christ... It ushers us into eternity with him. And then a few verses later, or a few chapters later, in chapter 4, 
want you to look at that as well, because there's a couple of verses that really encourage me when I'm tested beyond my ability to endure. And I want you to look at verses 7 through 9 and 16 through 18. He says, But we hold this treasure in jars of clay, this life in jars of clay, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Our trials and our difficulties and our illnesses and our infirmities, they show us, they remind us of our humanity, but they do nothing to diminish God's divinity. And we have to remember that in the midst of those times. We are hard-pressed on every side, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not in despair. We are persecuted, but we are not abandoned. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. Go down to verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We fix our eyes on Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured. He stayed under, endured the cross, scorning its shame, is now seated at the right hand of God. Are you going through a trial Right now? Are you going through a difficulty right now? Are you going through a temptation or a struggle? Is your faith being tested so that it will be proven, so that the evidence of it will shine forth? I know that it's hard, and maybe it even feels overwhelming, like it's more than you can bear. And so I want to encourage you if that's you today, don't. Go it alone. Lean into him who is faithful. Lean into the people around you. Surround yourself with faith-filled people. We've got quite a few here. If you're struggling, reach out. Don't go it alone. Don't go it alone. Hold unswervingly to the hope that you profess. Endure. Bear up courageously. Stay under. He's doing something in the midst of this season that cannot be accomplished in us any other way. But it will teach us to fully rely upon God, to pray until something happens, to look to Jesus and to keep our eyes fixed on him and him alone. Because you can focus on Jesus or you can focus on your problems. But you can't focus on both at the same time. I want to invite you I always invite you to come down to the altars and always explain these two if you want to pray alone and these two on the outside if you want to pray with someone. But I had the idea this morning, after I got here, this wasn't planned, and I wasn't even sure I was going to do it, but I want to invite you, if you'd like to come forward and you'd like somebody to anoint you and pray specifically for you, if you're in a difficult situation, if you're in a difficult season of life and you want the the church to pray for you, then today can be the day that you come forward and receive that prayer. James tells us that that the prayer offered in faith can make the sick well, that the elders can gather around and pray. So I'm I'm just going to head over here after I pray a closing prayer. And if you're a member of our prayer ministry or, or one of our board members or an elder, somebody that 
feels comfortable coming and praying for people, I'd invite you to come down here as well. And if you want to come and be anointed and be one that can receive that prayer, I've got some oil in my pocket that will anoint you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and pray for you. Whatever you, wherever you are, whatever season of life you're in, however you choose to respond today, my prayer is you'll respond in faith. And that you might pray or extend a hand over towards this corner if some people come forward to receive prayer. Extend a hand, indicating that you're praying in agreement with them and for them. And we'll have our response song and we'll have an opportunity to respond in faith through, through worship. And then we'll close the service. Would you pray with me together? Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you and praise you for going before us. For being a savior that, that can identify with us in the trials and the struggles and the difficulties. Scripture tells us that you were, you were tempted in every way just as we were, just as we are. Yet you were without sin. And so we fix our eyes on you. We fix our hope on you. We look to you. And we find the strength that we need to stand firm, to endure difficulty by faith. Lord, I pray for every person in this room that we will respond in faith to your word today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.